Welcome to Train the Prophets. Leslie Johnson is an author, speaker, minister, and an ordained prophet. I'm Prophet Leslie, calling the church to order. Today's topic is, could I be a prophet? Maybe you have a question about that in your life. I encourage you to go to my website and to get this book, What It Takes to Be a Prophet. Or maybe you know someone else that has a calling on their life and maybe they need this book. Go to my website, traintheprophets.com and order What It Takes to Be a Prophet. I encourage you to do that. It will answer many, many questions that you may have. So, many are drawn to the prophetic. How many times maybe you've been drawn to the prophetic and wondered if maybe you just might be a prophet. Maybe you have a calling on your life to be a prophet, or at least the prophetic. Do you feel that there's something different about you? Uh, maybe you don't know how to describe yourself. That's what a lot of prophets say. They don't know what it is about them. They don't know why they're different, but they're different. And we really don't know how to describe ourselves sometimes. Um, I wasn't raised in a church that understood the fivefold ministry, like the apostles, the prophets, the teacher, evangelists, and pastors. I went to a Methodist church, Presbyterian church sometimes, and that was at least, you know, the three times a year that you might go, Christmas and Easter, and maybe throw one other one in there. Uh, sometimes we went more often than that. But I was raised in a Christian home, but just not one that believed in the charismatic gifts or the fivefold ministries. Some are drawn to the prophetic. Some are drawn to prophets. Are you one of those people? One day Stan said to me, Leslie, you know what? We have watched many ministers on TV and sometimes these, these charismatic preachers out there, it just appears that they're pushing people down. And now I'm watching you pray for people. We have these crusades and I'm watching you praying for somebody and they're just falling down. Are you pushing them down? I'm like, Stan, I'm five foot. Most of these people are six foot or taller. So no, I'm not pushing them down. I can't push them down. I would never push them down. And that's still my philosophy today. I would never push somebody down. I would watch these so-called prophets of God and see that some of them would pray for, and sometimes people would go slain in the Spirit. Sometimes they wouldn't. Sometimes they didn't go slain in the Spirit. It's okay. That doesn't mean one is more anointed if someone goes down lying on the floor when you pray for someone. That's not what is recognized by anointing. Many times, if they go slain in the spirits, just because that person is willing to accept that. They're humbling themselves totally. And they're letting God be God and do what he's going to do. And then while there's others that will just draw attention to themselves and they go down. But it's not up to you. God calls you to pray for someone, you pray for them. If they go slain in the spirit, they do. But that's not going to constitute whether you're anointed enough or not. Sometimes it appears that these prophets that we had worked with and others that we've seen or even watched on TV, uh, they had a strong gift for prophesying while others had a strong gift for healing. Um, yes, as prophets, you're going to operate in all the gifts of the Spirit and to a much greater magnitude than maybe a Christian just sitting in the pew will be. Uh, that's part of the calling of a prophet is to operate in the gifts of the Spirit in a much greater way. But over the years, I began to notice that there were different levels of prophets. Some are home prophets. Some are church prophets. 
some are city prophets, some are national prophets, and so forth. So there are different levels. Just because one is called to be a prophet doesn't mean that they're even a church prophet. And that's okay. Just recognize the gifts and calling God has called for you to do and then stay in that area. Too many times we hear the prophet and we think of only the Old Testament type prophets who were aggressive and they were uncompromising. They were harsh and generally they were socially inept. Now we still see that today sometimes, but today we have grace about us. Most of the time as true prophets of God, there's going to be grace that follows them too, not so much the harshness of the word. Nevertheless, for the most part, the prophets of today, as we carry that grace, we also carry a very strong, um, with a strong personality, a very bold personality. There's a difference about us as we're ministering. When the anointing hits, there comes a difference, becomes a new man, they would say. A few, however, tend to be the down-turned mouth, um, strict, kind of humorless types as well. Uh, one of them that, I, that comes to mind is Dimitri Dudeman. He was from Romania. He was a prophet that was sent here to America with a message, and he didn't smile. But it was a lot about his upbringing. It's just a lot about just being a Romanian. Um, but yes, he was kind of like the Old Testament type of a prophet, and people did fear him because he looked so mean. He wasn't, but he, he could look pretty mean. As a matter of fact, we were out to eat, eat with him one day, him and his uh, grandson, who was the interpreter. And I smile a lot. You might not see it sometimes on these YouTube videos, but I do. Leslie's really a nice person, and she smiles and giggles and laughs a lot. Under the anointing, I'm, I'm not that way so much. But as a person, I am. And one day, Dimitri says, Why are you smiling all the time? And I'm like, Because I'm happy. <laughs> well, it broke the eyes, and he started giggling. So sometimes prophets may see very, seem like they're very stern and harsh, especially when they have a strong word of the Lord to deliver. That's when you'll see that. There are some that prefer to be in a small room prophesying, while others, you know, they want to be where the crowd is. That's probably would, would be me. Um, the more people to minister to, the more anointing, the more I pull on God, and the more that I feel like I'm in my element. Uh, some prophets uh, receive many dreams. Some have visions. Some have angel visitations. But a true prophet of God eventually will get where they're going to have all of that. They'll have dreams and visions, angel visitations also. A few prophets, they'll inspire fear in people. Or they'll at least have a, a strong respect comes to that prophet, especially when they enter the room or when they enter the stage to begin to speak the word of the Lord. On October the 28th, 1987, I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We had started a Bible study in our home. We've had Bible studies in our homes on Friday nights for many, many years. Um, since really Stan and I have been married since 1983. So we do do Sabbath, if some of you are wondering, because I don't want to hear that criticism. We do it Friday night, Friday evenings. We would have a Bible study. And we had just moved into our home in Lawrence, Kansas, and Stan put out an invitation to our whole block. It wasn't a very large block at the time. And asked people to come for a 
Bible study Friday nights at our house, every Friday night. Well, two ladies showed up. I'll never forget that night. They came to to be part of the Bible study. And as soon as they walked in the room, I thought, something's different about these two. God, you have given them something that I don't have. What is it? So I watched them. I watched them during the Bible study. Not so much their, how they were reading the Word of God, but there was just something different. I could tell there was a presence about them. And I thought, I know, I'll corner one of them when this is all done. I'm going to corner them and ask them after this Bible study, what is it? What is it about you? And so I did. And I went up to Mary Ellen. I said, what's different about you? You have something from God that I don't have, and I want it. She goes, I thought you might ask. She goes, here, read this little booklet, The Bible Way to Receive the Baptism of the Holy Spirit, and next Friday, if you desire to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then we'll pray for you, and you will receive it, because it's a gift. God has another gift for he wants to give to you. And I'm like, gift? G-I-F-T? Gift? I don't want to wait a whole week. But I thought I had a plan. So what I did is I'm going to wait a couple of days and then on Monday, Stan's going to, he has a class he's going to be teaching. He's going to be gone. I'm going to get the kids down for to sleep pretty e- early in the evening. And I did. I did that. So here I am in the middle of my living room floor and I thought, I'm going to read this little booklet. The kids are asleep. Hallelujah. Stan's gone. Hallelujah. So everything was quiet. And so I began to, to read this little book. And if I thought, I'm not going to read it all. I'm just going to get to the back part. I just want to see how can I get this baptism of the Holy Spirit? How can I receive this gift? So I did. And there were a few things I had to go through to renounce, etc. But then it came the part where you say, Lord Jesus, I ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Fill me with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And immediately, right there on my living room floor, all alone, I began to speak in other tongues. I got up, I was dancing around. I was so happy. I was so excited. And I just kept speaking in tongues, speaking in tongues, speaking in tongues. Got the Bible, looked at the Bible, read the Bible. And all of a sudden, the Bible became alive to me. I could understand things. I never had understood things before in the Bible. And all of a sudden, it became alive to me. And then I heard that dreaded sound, the garage door going up. Yep, Stan was home. I can't let him see that I've got the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He's not going to like that. He was raised Baptist. He is not going to like me speaking in tongues. I can't tell him. So I went upstairs. I went to bed in my clothes, pulled the covers over, and acted like I was asleep. That way he'll never ask. He'll not know that what happened. The next morning, we're passing each other in the hall. He grabbed my shoulders and he turned me around. He goes, what is it? What's different? How much did it cost? I'm like, how much did it cost? Why is it you husbands always go, how much should it cost? I said, it didn't cost anything. It's free. Here, receive, you know, read this little booklet here. You'll receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You'll speak in other tongues, just like this. I just started speaking to him. He's like, whoa, wait a minute. If this is really real from God, then I'm going to read it for myself in the Bible. And sure enough, two weeks later, after him studying it, he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Our lives have been changed. We've never been the same since. You may say, God, I wonder sometimes, have you forgotten me? Have you forsaken me? Because there's times we're going to feel like we're insecure in his love, and there's other times we're even wondering if he's even listening. So I encourage you to get that baptism in the Holy Spirit because with that, those gifts, those nine gifts, because you receive all of them, 
And yes, I practiced them. I didn't know you weren't supposed to practice them. I practiced the gifts of the Holy Spirit and it changed my life. He has not left you. He's not forsaken you. Sometimes we leave him, but he's going to cover you with his love. He's going to put his arms around you. He's going to comfort you. And you may say, Lord, did you forgive to give me some gifts? Because maybe you don't know what your gifts are. But God has given you gifts and attributes. You just need to find out what they are and then operate them in them. Don't try to be what somebody else is. Be who God called you to be. You know, maybe it's you're supposed to be that warm person at that front door of the church saying, come on in, so happy to see you. Maybe that's your calling. Maybe that's your anointing. Or maybe you're supposed to just serve. There's not just a just serve. You know, Jesus was the greatest servant of all. He'll lift you up. He'll build you up. So find out what your gifts are. But you're not going to find out what they are by just sitting on the pew every Sunday and not trying or not getting involved. No, yes, we're supposed to fellowship one with another. That's why we need to go to church. You may feel different. Maybe there's a calling on your life. Maybe there's a prophetic calling on your life. Maybe you're called to be a prophet. I don't know. Maybe you need to come to train the prophets sometime when there's a, 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 a session going on. Find out if you're called to do that. But God's going to not forsake you. He's not going to leave you. Sometimes we leave him, but he'll help you find out what your gifts are. Some of you are talented. Some of you are talented to play instruments. You need to find out how you can be plugged in and use those instruments because you can be anointed and do that. Prophets. Many of us, when we finally get into that office of a prophet, when you finally have that happen, you're strong, you're bold when you have that anointing, anointing on you. One thing about a prophet, many people see that they're highly favored of God. That's what they think. The fivefold ministry, you know, the apostle, the prophet, the teacher, evangelist, pastors, they're there for a reason. And I believe they are highly favored. But you're highly favored too. Maybe it is someone that's cleaning the bathrooms. You're highly favored too. But there is a new level. But with every level, there's new devils you have to overcome. And with that, those overcoming those, those devils and those new levels, as a prophet of God, you're going to find out that yes, you're highly favored of the Lord, but there's great responsibility that comes to you. There's great reverent fear that comes to you. You're going to say, be careful when you say, thus saith the Lord, or the Lord said. Matter of fact, the closer I get to the Lord, the more reverent fear I have, and rarely do I even say the Lord says anymore because I know that a curse can come upon me if I say it presumptuously. Be very cautious. I don't like it when people manipulate others by saying the Lord says just to get their way. So I caution you to not do that. Sometimes as prophets and also others in ministry, you may begin to think yourself as someone very small and unimportant to the kingdom of God because you haven't been able to operate in your gifts. God will use you. And even if you're called to be in the office of a prophet, serve. Let them be able to find trust in you. Let them find out that you're a person that hears from the Lord. And don't be some loose cannon out there. You know, love them, love the pastors, love those in the church. And again, if they trust you, then they'll be able to listen to you. And pretty soon you can be that mouthpiece 
maybe for your local church. Again, the, the, the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. When you ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, first of all, the Lord offers all of us, all of us those nine gifts. Second, we are part of his body and we are not all supposed to do the same things. And then third, we can all ask for and receive all the gifts of the Holy Ghost, including the gift of prophecy. And yes, you and I and every one of his children who desire to operate in these gifts of the Holy Spirit, we receive them. It is true that as prophets, we're usually stronger in one of the two other, one of the two gifts, one of the other, one or the other gifts, uh, but we have all of them. And the Lord says he'll give us gifts to operate as he determines. And Luke 11, 13 says, If you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more should your heavenly Father give the gifts of the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? And then 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 31. Now there are different diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it's the same God, which worketh all in all. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, and then to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and self-same Spirit, dividing every man severally as he will. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. We have to remember these words. If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, it is therefore not of the body. And if the ear shall say, Because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Question. If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where was the smelling? But now God has set members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are there many members, yet but one body? And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have become more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to the part which lacked that there should be no schism, in other words, there should be no rupture or no break in the body, but that the members should also ha should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. And if God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then the gifts of healing, Helps governments, diversities of tongues. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? No. Have all the gifts of the healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But God says in his word here, this is the, the key, but covet earnestly the best gifts. 
and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Too many times we want to do something or be someone when God hasn't called us to do. He hasn't called us in that direction. He hadn't called us to be Sue or Mary or Joe or Tom. He hasn't called you to be that person. He's called you to be who you are. Find out what you're supposed to do in the kingdom. It is important to spend time with the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit in order for the Lord to make clear His calling for each of us, an individual member of His body, the church. However, it is good to recognize the importance of a confirmation of what we believe or we've heard from God through an apostle or a mature prophet. To find out whether you or not have been called or chosen by God to be a prophet or even to answer the question, is there such a thing as a prophet, particularly in these days, these times we live in? I think it necessary to examine what the Word of God says regarding a prophet. In the Holy Bible, there's 454 scriptures with the verses from some form of the word prophet. Some definitions of this word is nabi, means to bubble forth, to come forth, to speak. And then also in the time of Samuel, sometimes it was used as the word seer. The Hebrew word for prophet, nabi, comes from the term meaning fruit of the lips, which emphasizes the prophet's role as a speaker. But a reminder, lemon is also a fruit. So not everything coming from the lips of a prophet will be sweet to your ears. And unfortunately, we have a lot of so-called, and I call them so-called prophets, in America today that want to tickle your ears with sweet words, sweet, sweetness coming from their lips, instead of calling the church to repentance. Household of God is where judgment begins because we've allowed all kinds of sins in. A prophet is one who speaks forth. Prophets are basically a spokesperson for God. And this person is chosen by God to speak on, to people on his behalf and to give a message. And it can be written or it can be spoken. It does take a great deal of courage for a prophet to give a message. A senior or major prophets especially have a boldness about them that is unlike any other believer. And when the anointing comes upon them, there is nothing that will stop them. I mean, mountains will move, strong winds will cease. I remember a time that Stan and I, we were taken on vacation by my dad to, um, to Maui, and we were the first ones there in the hotel room, and we were looking out the windows. We put the, pulled the curtains back. We're looking out the windows, and the wind is blowing so hard. The waves are high. It's raining, and the palm trees are almost touching the sand. They're bent over so far. And so I thought, well, this isn't going to be any fun if it's going to be storming the whole time we're here. I want to go to the beach, right? So I thought, I know what I'll do because this is what, you know, Jesus did, right? So if we're going to follow what his word says, that's what I'm going to do. So I opened up the window, Stan's standing right next to me. I opened up the windows and I go, peace, be still. And immediately the palm trees went, whoop. The, the sky cleared. The sun came out. It was a beautiful, clear day all of a sudden. I mean, everything just ceased as far as the storm. We both looked at each other and was like, that's real. It really happened. Another time we were at the Waumea Canyon in Kauai, and we went to the top, and it's when you look down, it's supposed to be this beautiful uh, scenery of, um, of the, the mountain and also uh, waterfalls, and you can see the ocean below. And we get up there, and it's covered in clouds. And so you can't see below the clouds, right? Because you're above the clouds. You couldn't see anything. 
And these people are kind of grumbling around us and complaining. And so I just spoke quietly and I said, in the name of Jesus, I command you clouds to dissipate. I command you to leave at once for we have authority over you, over the elements. I commend you to leave right now and let us see the beauty of what God created. And all of a sudden the clouds moved. It became so clear. We could see all the way down the valley. It was beautiful. I mean, our words do have force. There is a power to our words. Well, it's time for the quote of the day. Is this quote in the Bible? Finish the saying. Cleanliness is... You've probably heard this saying. Probably from your mom. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Actually, this is not in the Bible. There was a, This was a Hebrew proverb that's been around for centuries. However, John Wesley in 1769, he did say, Slevinliness is no part of religion. Cleanliness is indeed next to godliness. So that's the closest thing. And it was a saying he came up with. It's not in the scripture. I was telling my sister the other day about it. I said, it's not in, it's not in the Bible. She goes, you sure it's not in the Bible? I said, it's not. I looked it up. Now, we have something that comes close. It says, 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. In, in other words, God is more interested in our sinful nature. He wants us to be cleansed from our sinful, na- sin- sinful nature more than he ever m- was worried about the cleanliness of the body. Now, I'm still going to use that word for my grandchildren now, just like I use for my children. Cleanliness is next to godliness. And maybe maybe that'll sink in because it's important. We're supposed to keep ourselves clean, right? We're supposed to wash our hands before we eat. I do know that uh, even the Israelites, the Hebrews, the Jews, they still have certain laws that they have to perform. They have to cleanse themselves certain ways before they can go into the synagogue. Um, they have certain rules and rituals like they, they, uh, they have to avoid uh, dead bodies, carcasses, uh, eating unclean animals, leprosy, or any kind of bodily discharge. And they have to do elaborate washing uh, before they can enter the sanctuary. Or if someone were, was set outside, then they had to do certain washings before they could come in to be put back into society. So that's one way that they've said that there's cleanliness is next to godliness. They do these rituals because they think that they're getting closer to God. When God is concerned about the heart. Biblically speaking, outward cleanliness has no connection to godliness. We are defiled. We're unholy by what's in our hearts. It's not by what we eat or how often we wash our hands. We have to watch what's in our hearts. And Hebrews 12, 14 says, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. And then in Romans 3, 20, Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. We, we have to remember that, again, it's our, what, we're, what kind of sinful life we're leading, what's in our heart is what's important to the Lord. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And Ephesians 4, 24 says, And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. 
We're transformed. We're new creatures. And at that moment of accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we become that new man. And James 4, 8 says, Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. I encourage you to get this book. Go to the website, traintheprophets.com. What it takes to be a prophet. This will answer many of your questions that you may have about your own life or maybe others that are around you. Find out what it means to be a true prophet of God. I encourage you to go there today and do so. Share this with all your friends. Click on like, share, subscribe, and donate by clicking the link below. You can email me at lesliatraintheprophets.com or go to the website traintheprophets.com and find out when there's going to be training near you. God bless each of you for enduring sound doctrine, and I pray that each of you have received the spirit of truth today. The truth will make you free. And John 8, 32 says, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. It'll cause you to change. If you've not asked Jesus into your heart, today is your day. Ask him into your heart. Change your life. Ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Become that new man, that new creature. Prophet, listen. Leslie, this session is closed.